This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis, Cats at Night, and the number one show at 5 o'clock. Well, you have to tune us in to find out what the heck is going on in, in our city, in our country, and... We get it first before anybody else in the studio with us. We got two common sense Democrats. We have Governor Patterson back from his honeymoon vacation. Welcome back, Governor. Well, it was uh, my anniversary. Anniversary. Well, honeymoon <laughs> anniversary. anniversary. I, did, I didn't want to get married twice. <laughs> okay. And we have Judge Richard Weinberg, two uh, distinguished Democrats, and Lydia Serrani on my right hand side. Distinguished and independent. We have. Yeah. Uh, we have a. Great show today. It's uh, uh, Lydia. Well, we're going to be speaking with Charlie Gasparino, James Gagliano. He's a former FBI. John McLaughlin. You know what I'm going to ask him? The 14 FBI agents that were whistleblowers. What's the story there? Exactly. And what is the morale among the FBI agents? And do they agree with the direction the leadership is going? Dr. Peter Mikolos, he's got some breaking news on the medical front. I'll, I'll say two things for and you. And John McLaughlin, what the hell's going on with the uh, primaries in New York next week? And and uh, Governor David Patterson made record-breaking uh, uh, news uh, news last week on that. But Dr. Peter Mikolos, two things I'll just say. Uh, nasal spray and Alzheimer's. So that's you want to tune in for that. But right now on the line, we have Peter Schweitzer. Am I saying it right? Okay. Peter Schweitzer, we've had him on before. He's a political consultant. He's also a writer. He's got great books out. His most recent book, Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich, Helping China Win. Welcome back to uh, Cats at Night, Peter Schweitzer. Hey, it's great to be with everybody. Thanks so much for having me. You might have should have, uh, your title should have said, Help it, Helping China Win and America Lose. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. And unfortunately, there's uh, uh, people on both sides of the aisle, people on Wall Street, and people in Silicon Valley that have made a, a very calculated decision, which is it's good for business for them to be helping China and it's bad for the country. But um, that doesn't seem to bother them. Well, Curtis Sliwa sent me a, an article that uh, Aramco, Saudi Arabia's uh, oil company, made $500 billion. And I said, they're lying. It was at least double that. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably no doubt about that. But, you know, this is a problem that that um, that we face, which is that there's a lot of money to be made by doing deals with, um, let's just say, very brutal governments, um, Saudi Arabia being one. Uh, the other one, though, being China. And I would put China in a different category in the sense that, you know, China has, they've said, global ambitions to supplant the United States. So you're not only doing business with a brutal government, you're doing business with a country, a government that wants to surpass the United States and replace us on the global stage. And meanwhile, you had Speaker Pelosi calling China one of the freest societies that she's ever seen. And there's that viral video that came out that they heard that a child may have had COVID and they blocked everybody from coming out of the mall. I, I, I don't understand this kind of mentality where we think that China is our friend. They are our adversary. They have always been our they're, adversary. Listen, they're very smart people. And they want to be number one. 
And, you know, yeah. we have controls on everything we do. We, they make sure America's left testicle is attached to the right <laughs> ear. And China, China is doing. Ouch. I don't even have testicles. You know, that hurts me. Ouch. China's doing whatever they want. They're opening up, a, what, 150 coal plants? What, what, yeah. what is that? Uh, I know, and while we're we're abiding by the Paris Accord, and, uh, Germany, Germany, uh, all of a sudden they were going to reopen up their coal plants, so they decided to rename their uh, nuclear. nuclear plants green energy. Green energy. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this up, Peter Schweitzer. What's your reaction to all of this? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, look, I mean, China has a strategy. They call it elite capture, uh, and it's very smart. I mean, to John's point, they're very brilliant in that elite capture basically says, hey, instead of going toe-to-toe with the United States or with other governments, what we're going to do is we're just going to do commercial deals with their leadership class. doesn't matter if it's a Republican or Democrat. They do it with both sides. And what we're going to do is we're going to co-opt them. We're going to give them sweetheart deals in China. We're going to make them and their families wealthy. Uh, and then they are going to essentially do our bidding. Uh, they don't expect them to, to follow a party line. Um, you know, if you translate from Chinese what they're looking for, they're looking for big help with a little bad mouth. In other words, help us on the big things. We want basically unfettered access to your technology unfettered access to your capital markets on Wall Street, and we want basically no tariffs on goods so we can import goods, subsidize goods into the country. If you give us those things, we don't really care if you say things about you know our human rights policy or how we treat the Uyghurs. You're giving us what we want. And you know, as I highlight in the book and has been discussed, uh, you can find this pattern has been followed with the Biden family, the first family of the United States, it's also been followed on the Republican side with Mitch McConnell's family. Both of those families have become very wealthy, courtesy of deals given by Chinese state-backed companies. Some of those businessmen are directly linked to Chinese intelligence. They give them these sweetheart deals. And lo and behold, if you look at Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden's policies towards China, they fit exactly into the big help with a little bad mouth. Governor Patterson? You know, Peter, I when I came out of office, I've been to China four or five times, and I've worked on a couple of business deals there. And I, I went to an event at the Chinese consulate uh, earlier this year, and I had always kind of understood this, but that night it really hit me. The communist government in China is very low-key. You don't even know that it really exists. And in my opinion, what it does is it allows other Chinese to have these relationships and slowly but surely uh, infiltrating this country, the number, the amount of money that's going to support colleges coming from yeah. China in this country has gotten to the point where if a speaker goes to the college and gets up and says anything that's uh, opposite what China feels, the Chinese don't even have to do anything. The administration shuts them down. And it's a so I think that not only are they trying to be number one, John, but I think that they are trying to wipe out. Uh, any any kind of freedom of speech in this country? You know, uh, Governor, we're under attack. Go, go ahead, go Peter. Ahead. No, exactly, no, exactly. I, the Governor, I think you raise a hugely important point here, and that is people will say sometimes, "Well, why do I care if China is number one as opposed to the United States? It's not going to affect me." And your point is, yes, it is. It's already affecting us. Um, free speech on college campuses. Uh, we know that certain speakers aren't allowed to speak there. You have 
Hong Kong human rights activists that have tried to speak on college campuses. They get shouted down from, by students from the mainland. The administration does nothing. And they're pouring, meaning you know, businessmen linked to the Chinese government, are pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into college campuses. And the universities, Governor, they're, they're supposed to, according to the 1965 Education Act, they're supposed to be publicly disclosing who is sending them that money. Uh, but an investigation by the Department of Education in 2019 shows they aren't doing that so that we don't even know where some of the money is coming. And that money comes with strings attached, and it's already affecting the quality of life in this country well, right now. Peter, it's, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. It's even more dangerous than that because not only does it affect the quality of life and our own values and how we conduct ourselves in this country, but their aggression overseas. So, for example, building those islands, taking up the water uh, the waterways, yeah. their threats against Taiwan. If you're co-opted on one level, you're going to be co-opted on another. In other words, they're buying off the opposition to their aggressive yeah. hegemonic By approach. The way, do you know how much money uh, China contributes to the university? Universities? A lot of money. So the question is, those universities are used to getting those big checks from China. And China, it's, it's the government just printing money. Of course. Right. And, of course, the, the, the real end game here is that we all have to understand that we think differently than the Chinese do. I, I wonder if Peter will agree with me. We think in terms of five-year business plans and quadrennial elections. They think in terms of 20, 40, 60-year cycles. They have a plan, and President Xi has talked about it, to take over the entire world, as far as they're concerned, by 2049. And yeah. President Xi yeah. has said that at least on two occasions that I've uh, heard uh, seen printed. Yep, yep. No, that, you're exactly right. Um, you know, American businesses think in terms of their quarterlies, you know, what they need to share with shareholders, and I understand that. The Chinese economic plan thinks in terms of, of decades. Uh, but also, you're right. Uh, they want their plans uh, for uh, world supremacy over the United States to be accomplished by 2049. That will be the 100th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China. You got it, and, Peter. <laughs> and Xi's been very, Xi's been very, very clear about how he's going to do it. He's not going to do it by sending aircraft carriers off the Bay of San Francisco. He's going to do it by being able to intimidate the United States, believing that he's going to have economic supremacy. He's going to have technological superiority. And as long as we have some of the best and brightest companies in Silicon Valley, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Google or Microsoft, actively working with the Chinese government, actually financially supporting research laboratories linked to the military that are developing artificial intelligence that's going to be used against us. If we have our best and brightest doing that, we are going to lose this competition, and we've got to be clear about that. Peter Schweitzer, I think one of our only uh, leaders that I know of in, in recent history that actually recognized China as a threat, as an adversary, was President Trump. And would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, Trump has changed the conversation about China. If you look where it was in 2016 to where it is now, um, the the confines have changed. And, you know, as I point out in my book, Red Handed, um, 
you know, I, I obviously call out the people who are bad on both sides. There are some people on both sides of the aisle that are pretty good on China. Donald Trump certainly uh, was very solid on China, changed the conversation. If you look at the Democratic side, you have Senator Warner from Virginia, Senator Coons from Delaware. Um, you know, they're more liberal Democrats, but they recognize the same challenge. And, and my real hope is we've got a lot of disagreement and division in this country, and I understand that, that you know, some of that is, is very substantive. But we have got to get our arms around the fact that the differences we have between ourselves in this country are nothing in comparison to what Beijing has planned for us and for the world. So we need to find some partisan, uh, sorry, bipartisan ground upon which we can join together and deal with this threat effectively. Because if we continue to only be at each other's throats and we aren't getting unified in the face of this, we will lose. Now, another person has told me to, to build a highway in China, it costs like 10000 a mile. For us, it costs yeah. a million dollars a mile. And, yeah. and then we have to do environmental impact studies so we never get it built. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is very, very sad what's happening to our country. But listen, uh, Peter Schweitz, I want to say thank you for, for pointing it out and bringing it to everybody's attention because – I am scared that the American people are becoming stupider. Right. Is that the way you say it? That they're not aware they're very that, ignorant. That, that we are under at, attack. at economic war with the rest of the world. And uh, so far in the, in the last year and a half, America has been losing. The rest of the world has been winning. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Peter Schweitzer. Again, your book is called Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And now on the line, we have Charlie Gasparino, journalist, blogger, radio host, a frequent uh, guest panelist on Fox Business, as well as right here on Cats at Night. And Charlie, what the heck is going on with these markets? It's a, sometimes it's a roller coaster. It's up and down. Nobody knows where where are we going? Are we going to the moon or are we going journey to the center of the earth? Listen, I just think, you know, it gets down to kind of... <laughs> Thank you, Jules Fern. Good thing our demographic knows who Jules Fern is. <laughs> uh, um, here's what I would say. There is a belief in the market that the Fed is going to raise rates once, 75 basis points, get it up to three and a quarter from where it is now, right, 250. 2.50, get it up to three and a quarter and say, eh, let's wait. And the market really likes that. Now, you know, there's that's the market person. That's a trader perspective that I'm hearing from traders pretty much across the board. When I do talk to people who consider themselves Fed watchers, there is a professional class of trader investor who considers himself or herself a Fed watcher where they have sources at the Fed or people used to work at the Fed. And they're trying to divine where the uh, the, uh, the policymaking is going with the Fed, Jerome Powell, et cetera. They say that's an overly optimistic viewpoint, that there's at least two 75 basis points uh, raises in there, maybe three, because inflation, while it appears to be coming down, is still sort of baked in. You know, we, get, we have lower oil prices because – People are cutting back on traveling because they're too high. Well, hit eighty six fifty this this morning. Eighty six fifty. Right. So what they're saying is, be prepared for two, maybe three more hikes. 
And if you read, I you know Neil Kashkari, who's the um, Minneapolis Fed chief, essentially said that said that they'd rather overshoot on the tightening side than on than than you know pull back, and so be prepared for two uh, two more. Um, and if you read the Fed minutes today, they contained a lot of that language. So um, there's if you believe the Fed watchers. You know, you shouldn't be buying really the market right now. If you don't believe them, if you believe what a lot of investors believe, that Powell is a wimp when it really comes down to it, he's dovish and he's going to at least pause, uh, you know, you kind of buy stocks. That's why, by the way, that's why you see meme stocks and all these other stocks going up because they're benefiting. You know, the irrational exuberance is starting to come back into the market based on the um, based on that. That theory, and you know my opinion, and you know I know me and you, uh, we love each other, but we disagree sometimes. And I, and I have warned the Fed that they're killing the real estate market, and if they raise them beyond right now, the headlines in some of the stations, not yours, was right. uh, uh, mortgage refinances and things with a twenty-two month, twenty-two year low. Right. Uh, refis and new uh, and new uh, mortgages, twenty-two month low. So if you raise them more, you you know you you could win the game of uh, of uh, uh, controlling inflation, but you kill the real estate industry. So what good is creating another problem? Yeah, yeah that's true. Although the real estate, I mean, you know, as someone who you know looks at looks for homes to buy outside of the state. Is pretty uh, is pretty insane, you know. I, I mean, I saw houses in South Carolina in the um, Charleston area that three or four years ago were going for four hundred thousand dollars a year, and now up to like eight hundred to a million. This is before the Fed started acting. This was like earlier in the summer. So, um, I mean, that's that's irrational exuberance, and that that's pricing that is pricing middle class people and people out of the market and. Those those prices have to come down somewhere, and there will be a wealth effect on those coming on those it's prices coming down. It's not affecting you know, Florida as much. You know why it's not affecting right. Florida? Well, that's, that's, the people well, in Florida are the ones selling their houses and apartments in the north in Illinois. How do you say Illinois? Illinois, <laughs> Illinois without the S. And 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 in New York, and then using that money to buy apartments or buy houses in Florida. I don't think it's from the interest rates that we yep. saw prices go so high. Yeah. It's people were fleeing in mass New York and the taxes and everything yeah, like that. And the taxes are yeah, low in so South there's Carolina. Never, there's never one. Yeah, there's never one reason. I mean, the, the exodus to Florida is often is also very political, right? People are sick of New York, the crime. You know, you're paying premium rates to get like mugged in Manhattan. You know what I'm saying? Charlie, <laughs> premium tax rates to, well, to deal with. Can I pivot? Speaking of Florida, <laughs> the Florida judge is. What's your, um, I guess, your gut feeling on what he's going to do when it comes to the affidavit supporting the Trump raid? Will this? Because they they elevated it right from the magistrate to it's now a Florida district court judge. So what do you think is going to happen, Charlie? Well, I'm not a lawyer, but just reading everything. I mean, listen, it's. It would be – I think Peter would be better for this one. Peter, you tell me if I'm right. I think he splits the difference. I don't think a federal judge can literally say to the Justice Department, oh, we don't care about your investigation. You know, uh, screw you. We want to see the entire affidavit, even though those things usually kept <laughs> quiet, kept, kept uh, anonymous. I think he splits the difference. He, he lets out some information. Now, Peter, 
that my P- Peter's my not on. Charlie, analysis. Charlie, I'll tell you who's in the studio. Governor Patterson's on, and and I am Judge okay. Weinberg. And, and, and off camera, camera, get off, yeah, get on. And off camera, we've been debating this. I said that the right thing to do here is to unseal the affidavit because this is a big. What, what do you a, think he's going to do? What, not the right thing. What do you think he'll do? Well, that's a very good question. I'm, if I were presiding, I would unseal it because I think it's a question of such magnitude. But you have to redact. I know you can in, redact. You can redact. But I know here, bill reform. If somebody mugs you or sexually assaults you, you the the criminal finds out who the victim is beforehand, so they can go yeah. and intimidate you and well, kill you possibly, so you yeah. can't you know. Yeah, but this is testify this is a, trial. Matter, a national crisis. But they is should. But the these country. people could also be targets. So I kind of I agree with Charlie that there could be some sort of happy medium because we're talking about the, the, the president. Medium? That they release uh, not all of it, but some of it, and redact a lot of it. But we need the, the whole thing is so the whole thing is so sorted from a political standpoint. And I, I can't believe if, if Merrick Garland literally, you know, raided that Trump's house for some love letters to Macron and stuff that they that they deemed classified. And you know, this is this is just so out there because you know, first off, here's what's interesting about this. I don't think people understand it. The government always overclassifies everything. Like I try to get Freedom of Information Acts through the Securities Exchange Commission, which doesn't deal with the nuclear codes, just but just so you know. So you try to get stuff from them on their deliberations. They mark everything top secret. The deliberations of the SEC are top secret, and you know they have some precedent where you, you can't use the federal FOI Freedom of Information law to get it. So the government is in the business of keeping the, some of the most Mundane stuff, secret. They do this routinely. Um, so I, I'm just saying that, you know, it, this thing has the smell of a fishing expedition. And it's, yeah. and I think that's what's scary. Now, this judge, I hate to say it, is he a Republican or, or a Democrat? I don't know who he is. It's not Judge Reinhardt, the one. And I was hearing the rumor is that, you know, in the final days of the White House, they were just kind of packing everything up. So like Charlie's saying, they're kind of on this fishing expedition. Did Trump take something he shouldn't have? Because if it really was like the Washington Post reported nuclear codes or this really highly classified national security type of information, Merrick Garland wouldn't have waited weeks and and deliberated, and then had the FBI agents take a weekend off before they went in and raided Trump. But can we, did the FBI, the FBI was actually at Morrow. In June. Didn't they look, weren't they looking at all the boxes? Yes, and they told them to put an extra lock on that door to keep them more secure. they, They conceivably saw the nuclear codes in June. Right. They changed nuclear codes, they changed nuclear codes every day. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is stupid. They change them every day. But for the sake of argument, maybe I'm missing this. They were in there. Yeah. They were looking at all the boxes. Yeah. They saw whatever was in there, whether it was the nuclear code or a love letter to Vladimir Putin. Melania's underwear, they, yeah. Maybe some of that. <laughs> and then they said, wow. put, in a, put another they lock on the Exactly. And, yeah, and by the way, they were negotiating, and there was a grand jury subpoena. They didn't need to ex- execute a search warrant, Charlie. They could have gotten everything they wanted by the subpoena. Trump said his team was cooperating. He said he would have given them. They allowed them to come in, see everything. They said put an extra lock on there. So that's why they were so taken aback by what happened. I mean, look how surreptitiously they did it. Trump leaves. 
you know, town to come to New York. And, you know, they were probably going to do it when Ivana died. That's what I was thinking, too. Did they do a lousy job at searching the premises and then you know someone ratted them out saying, oh, there was one box you didn't see. It was in another well, room. No, I want to know who well, ratted out Trump. Next. Wait a second. Uh, uh, listen. Keep listening to our thing. We have Lou Dobbs coming up next. But after Lou Dobbs, we got uh, James uh, Gagliano from the FBI. And I'm going to ask him. Uh, there are 14 whistleblowers. agents, whistleblowers, and ask him what he knows about that. I mean, the whole thing was so bizarre. It was done so fast. And, you know, I caught a lot of flack on Twitter because I quoted Trump lawyers. And then I quoted Eric Trump saying that they weren't given the physical copy of the warrant at first. I mean, this was a quote. You know, it wasn't like I was saying sources, you know, right. you, know you know, the FBI told me this. They said yeah, but we also want to know who who's the one that turned in Trump. I think the American people want to no, know. It, it, is, I, it, I is it the same? That, like, is it the same woman that 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 said Justice Kavanaugh Kavanaugh raped her? Right, right. and, and she never didn't remember, he didn't. She didn't remember where, and she didn't remember what year it was. And nobody else knew that she, she was there. And this alleged informant, how reliable is he or she? That's is exactly it even right. truthful what this person we is have alleging? A credibility gap in Washington. And, well, and, you know, that's true. And what, what I'm trying to say with this thing with the warrant is that Eric said, then I go back to Eric. I said, listen, people are saying, and Garland's now saying, that you got the warrant. He said, listen, the way I understood it, they wouldn't let us see the warrant at first. We had to photocopy it. Not photocopy it, um, take a picture of it. <laughs> and he saw it, and then we got it later. So my bigger point is, is this sound like you know, the Keystone cops. I mean, you know, like something very hastily arranged. If that's true, I'm not saying what he's saying is true. You know, ever kind of conflated warrant with affidavit, although I made it really clear because I said, well, shit, dude, I'm getting a lot of garbage on this. <laughs> what, what's, what's and then remember this? the whole thing with CBS's Nora O'Donnell. She said, oh, no, the Justice Department said that they don't have Trump's uh, passports. The and it NBC? turns out they did have the passports. So they're getting a lot of false information about, from their sources inside the, the DOJ. telling telling everyone on the premises to turn off the security cameras. What right does the FBI have and to And they thank them? God yeah. they did it. And back in April, if you remember, you're a journalist just like myself, Charlie Gasparino. Yeah. And there was that article in the New York Times that apparently Biden was not happy with Merrick Garland because he wanted him to prosecute, uh, you know, Trump. Did he bow under the pressure? And this is why he did it. He was sent a message. And by the way, the Washington Post story, if you read it again, I just read it, the, the excerpt because it was in James Freeman's column in the journal. It said that they were worried. They didn't say that he took it. They said that there were that was possibly in one of the boxes or something like that. It was much more of a head than Trump has the nuclear codes. And then the and then the magistrate who signed off on the warrant donated to the Obamas and Clintons. It's horrible. Charlie Gasparino, thank you. I can't make this. You know, I don't know if I'm buying or selling in stock market, but we'll, one of us will be right and one did of you, us will be did wrong. Did you buy the boathouse? I didn't buy the boathouse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I buy a lot of stupid things, but I didn't buy the boathouse. <laughs> Uh, Your Honor, did you buy the boathouse? Thank you. I bought the boathouse. Thanks, Charlie Gasparino. And uh, let's stay tuned. We got Lou Dobbs. Then we have the FBI uh, special agent to come on right after that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, we have James Gagliano. He is a West Point graduate and former Airborne Ranger Infantry Officer, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent who serves on the FBI's Elite Hostage Rescue Team and is a senior SWAT team leader. Welcome to Cats at Night, James Gagliano. Good to join you. I look forward to the conversation. Tell us, what the heck is going on? One of the congressmen, which one, Jim Jordan, was it? Right. Representative Jim Jordan, he says that there's 14 whistleblowers that came forward to him that are unhappy with the leadership of the FBI. They're wary that it's uh, they're they're concerned, actually, that it's being politicized. A lot of the things that have been going on. What's your take and what are you hearing the morale is among agents? Well, uh, you know, I'll say this, you know, the FBI has been around a long time, 114 years in total. Um, and it's it has survived some tumultuous times back during the J. Edgar Hoover era. He was the director for 48 years. And there were certainly some missteps, whether it was illegally wiretapping Martin Luther King and COINTELPRO. And we've mm-hmm. had spies in our midst. But by and large, the organization, while it's not monolithic and, and people have their own opinions and their own views, I can tell you 25 years in the FBI, I never had a political conversation at work. I think what we're seeing now is some some dubious decisions at the top, and, and I can certainly speak to those, whether it's from the director's office, the seventh floor, where the senior executives down at FBI headquarters are in Washington, D.C., and from across the street at uh, Maine Justice, the Department of Justice. I think what we're seeing is further erosion of trust that began in 2016 when James Comey stepped before the microphones during the 2016 presidential campaign and basically laid out why Hillary Clinton should have gone to jail and then used the, but no reasonable prosecutor would bring these charges. So you have people now that look at that and look at a number of other instances where it appears the prosecutorial discretion was misapplied, and they're saying, why is the law not being applied equally, John? Well, it's you know, we don't – look, the FBI, I know a lot of people in the FBI, they're 99.9% great people and loyal, patriotic Americans and want to do the right job. And the Department of Justice leadership uh, is very political. Yeah. And, and, and should, should the FBI be separate maybe – from the Department of Justice, or the Department of Justice be separate from from the executive office, and just and just follow the law. I mean, how difficult it is, yeah, following the law versus doing political uh, aspects of it. John sure, Katzmatidis, I, mean, a, I want. Oh, I want. Oh, oh, I was just going to. I asked the question. Let oh, sorry, finish. sorry. Go on. Yeah, no, I I would say that's a great point, John. Look, the FBI director, Christopher Wray, there's only been eight in the FBI's history, Senate approved, and the attorney general of DOJ are both political appointees, okay? We understand that. One of the things that Congress did after J. Edgar Hoover died in 1972 to prevent 
potential politicization was that they gave the FBI director a 10-year term so that he would not have to be subject to a potential conflict of interest with the president. I think it might be appropriate to do that at DOJ. Look, I'm not a fan of special prosecutors, but I believe that the attorney general in this case, who was passed over by President Trump and was not given a seat on the Supreme Court, probably should have recused himself in this instance. And whether or not he's guilty of impropriety, I'm not going to make that judgment, but it is the appearance of impropriety, I think, which has a lot of people up in arms feeling again like the law is not being applied evenly. Those are two very uh, interesting observations. That's the, Governor the, Patterson, uh, please tell yeah, us. The, the, the 10 years, uh, I think I could support that. And the issue of Garland's appointment to the uh, United States Supreme Court and how that went, uh, it, it may not be that he has any misgivings or he's vindictive, but the appearance is always going to be there because the incident did happen. In law enforcement, you have to have confidence that's being done fairly, even-handedly. There's no double standard. Even, you know, justice for all, evenly. I don't care if you're Democrats or Republicans. It's got to be justice, justice for all. Well, last night, Professor Dershowitz said very clearly that the European model is to separate out the attorney general from the executive branch, making an independent office for these kinds of cases. And it's interesting because in states, we do that. We elect our attorney generals here in New York. And um, and on a number of occasions, we've needed an elected official that the governor couldn't be afraid of to uh, conduct investigations, which may not have happened if it's being done internally. Again, we're speaking with James Gagliano, former FBI. Also, the other point I wanted to bring up to you, uh, Mr. Gagliano, is we saw that it was Merrick Garland that came out and said, hey, I'm responsible for the raid on Trump. Meanwhile, it was the FBI, about 30 of them that went in and noticeably absent during that brief and kind of he looked, you know, tepid uh, news conference that Merrick Garland had was Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI. What did you make of that? I mean, to me, John Katzmatidis, did you think that was did you think that was a good performance that Merrick Garland had when he had that press conference and no, Christopher Ray was there? It seemed like there's always the, the FBI director in memory always stands next to right uh, and, 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 and and he came out by himself, yeah. Mr. Garland, uh, uh, Attorney General Garland came out by himself. Nobody surrounded him and said, "It's my fault. I'm taking the blame." Right. What did you think, James Gagliano? Well, first of all, there would be no way that in an operation like this, and I know it's been called a raid in, in, in the media, but it's a, the execution of a search warrant that a federal magistrate had to sign off on. There's no way that this would have occurred, this special circumstance where you're entering the premises, the, the residence of a former president, obviously without the attorney general signing off on this and the FBI director. Now, What about the White House? I, I, I like to believe because the attorney general is supposed to be apolitical and the attorney general is not supposed to discuss ongoing investigations with the White House. I'd like to believe and I think that's the way that this probably should have gone. I don't know if there were any private conversations, but let's let, let's just assume let's presume that that didn't happen. I, what, what concerns me is this. 
the Department of Justice has a policy, a longstanding policy, not to speak to ongoing investigations until they are adjudicated. We will not tell you if somebody is being investigated, if somebody is going to be indicted, or what the determination of an investigation is. In this instance, and I'm not going to blame the attorney general here, I feel like he had to do this and should have done it sooner than a couple of days later. In this instance, he decided to release the search warrant without the underlying fact pattern, the affidavit that is critical. And I know that the Department of Justice is standing by the notion that they don't want to give up sources and methods. They don't want to have this to have a chilling effect on anybody that would have potentially cooperated in an ongoing investigation. The people deserve to know. Divine. The people deserve to know. And, and because we are in unprecedented times and because fully one half of this country Unfortunately, and it breaks my heart as, a, as someone who spent a quarter century in an agency that I still believe is comprised of the best of the best, it, it, it cannot stand that there is not some, uh, there's not some press conference held where the American public can learn what the reason is that we went from lawyers at the National Archives and Records Administration and Trump's lawyers having a negotiation about what needed to be done to authorizing a federal search warrant on a Friday and kicking in the doors at Mar-a-Lago on a Monday morning. You just said it wasn't well, a raid. You. No, thank you. <laughs> we have to take a break. Thank you so much, uh, 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 James uh, Gagliano, and thank you for your service to our country and continue to speak out for our country. God bless you. God bless Thanks America. We're taking a break, and when we come back, we got John McLaughlin coming on. And he's going to tell us where the heck are we with the yesterday's primaries and next week, the primaries next week in New York. Let's take that break. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We're back, and this is John Katzmatidis, and number one show at 5 o'clock in a tricast between WABC and WLIR uh, and 970 AM, The Answer. And with us today, what the heck is going on with the primaries? We had primaries last night. We have primaries uh, coming in New York uh, next uh, and Florida, Tuesday. And Florida, too. And Florida. Uh, John McLaughlin. 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 Yes, McLaughlin. <laughs> as long as I don't call you late for dinner. Uh, tell us, what the heck is going on, John? Well, the primaries, what's great about the primaries is they're better than the polls because they're actual votes. So we get to see who's really winning, what's happening. So all the speculation that was going on about, you know, how Liz Cheney would do and Democrats coming into the Wyoming primary, um, it's just gone. And uh, um, yeah, ironically, we had done a survey for President Trump uh right after Liz Cheney voted to impeach and she had blown up her base in Wyoming at the point where only 26% of the voters supported her. That's and, it. That the bottom line is only 26% voted for her. Oh no, the actual vote was 29. So it went up three <laughs> points, but she, she lost to uh, basically somebody who was a political unknown who had run before and came in fourth place, Harry Hagman. And uh, you know, Harry got 66% of the vote. Because Donald Trump uh, endorsed her, and and uh, we worked, you know, we worked in uh, Wyoming a long time, and a longtime client is state treasurer Kurt Meyer, and Kurt led the ballot. He was endorsed by Donald Trump, and he led the ballot of all the contested primaries with seventy one percent. And there were Democrats coming into the primary, roughly ten percent of the vote were Democrats, and eight percent were independents. Because in Wyoming, even though you're registered and you vote in your party's primary. 
you can declare that day that you want to vote in the other primary. And that was happening. And Liz Cheney was raising millions. She raised $15 million. Wow. You mean Abe Lincoln? Yeah, right. And and by the way, it's like her money that she raised. It's like the Lincoln Club. They raise all this money anti-Trump. It's a scam. And then they don't produce any results. And and when you look at this, I mean, she 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 made a huge mistake going against President Trump and then followed up with an even bigger mistake sitting on that January 6th kangaroo court that's coming up with nothing, where they didn't allow any pro-Trump uh, Republicans to sit on that committee. So it's basically Liz Cheney tossed totally in with Nancy Pelosi. And Kissinger. And, and, yeah, Adam Kissinger, that, yeah. Yeah, what? Kissing, kissing her. Alaska. Wait, wait, you know, before we run out of time here, Alaska, I don't hear crap about it. Tell us what happened. I mean, nobody talked about Alaska <laughs> last night. Well, I've worked for a long time in Alaska, going back to when Wally Hickel was governor and the Alaska Independence wow. Party. But uh, but the reason you don't hear anything about it, because the results don't come in until four o'clock in the morning, East Coast time. So in Alaska, uh, Lisa Murkowski got roughly 44% of the vote. They're still counting. It was about 71% in. And uh, followed by Kelly Chewbacca, who who uh, uh, President Trump endorsed. She's at 40%. But it's it's not a true primary anymore. It's what they call an open primary. And the top four, they changed the election law last year to try to help Murkowski because she's an incumbent, and she's at 44%. So she's under 50% which means most voters don't want to vote for her. And in Alaska, what we've seen in our polls this year is that 70, uh, 75% of the voters think the country's on the wrong track. Uh, 63% disapprove of the job that Joe Biden's doing. And the majority of them disapprove the job that Lisa Murkowski is doing. So the top four now move on to November, and it's like the mayor's race in New York with the Democrat priority have ranked choice voting. So Kelly Shabaka has a very good chance to beat Lisa Murkowski in November. And uh, uh, so that it's going to be extremely hard fought over literally a primary where you're looking at uh, there's about 150,000 votes right now that have been cast. Uh, where does Sarah Palin fall in there? She's she has also moved on to the to the uh, it's she, in, into the uh, uh, fall election, whatever, uh, the November election. So she's still in it. She moved on. And uh, there's a Democrat running against her. And uh, uh, so 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 Trump's candidates have moved on in Alaska to the next round. But so it's, when it's do we know? Well, kind of bottom day. line, when do we know who won? Election day. <laughs> yeah, election day. Well, with Murkowski, you won't know until November, November 8th. Right. And for this and, and for this, the special for the remaining seat, um, I don't know because you have this ranked choice voting that. They so start, did, they have, did did Trump's uh, designee lose? No, no, no. They she, haven't no, decided she, yet. They haven't decided yet. So she's, Sarah Palin has has moved on to whatever they're counting for the next. So it's. But way, Sarah Palin I, is I, running for Congress and Senate. Congress, Congress, yeah. Congress, which is and, separate and than Murkowski, who's running for Senate. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Correct. And right. there's two. And there's two races because there's a primary. For November, yeah, and a special election, special for Congress. Right. So it's like what you're going to have in New York uh, on Tuesday, where Mark Molinaro in the old 19th district uh, that Anthony Delgado left vacant is running uh, in a special election for Congress against a Democrat, uh, and at the same time he'll be on the ballot later on in November 
for the new 19th district. So I, I give us on. an update. We got we, we got about a minute left. We need an update next week. We got Governor Patterson here too to give us a, a rebuttal if necessary. Next week is the primaries in New York. Right, and it's what and the right heck is going to happen? People are going to well, they're not used to an August 23rd primary. So the voting so far in the early voting has been very light, and it's going to be light and late. And uh, I, I know the Republican side, uh, Governor Patterson certainly knows the Democrat side. But I, th- I think what's interesting is the cashless bail and the economy and inflation are going to dominate what's going on in these races. And uh, uh, I know Nick LaLota, who's out in New York one, is, is probably he seems to be uh, in a close race with a woman named Michelle Bond, who was part of the Obama administration. So he he, he needs to win. Garbarino is in a race. Uh, uh, you have uh, Mike Lawler will probably win uh, in the New York uh, 17th district, and you'll have a, a, a tough race going on between Sean Patrick Maloney and Alexandria uh, uh, Biagi, uh, who's a socialist, right? So, so that's yeah. and then you've got your races in New York with your friends uh, uh, Nadler and Maloney and Patel in that one race, and then you got the in, in New York 10 where. Uh, uh, it seems Goldman appears to be leading Congressman Mondaire Jones. Any, from- before we go and break, uh, Governor Patterson, any comments? Are the common sense Democrats going to win or are the socialists that want to kill New York going to win? Uh, John, I think in a conversation you and I had on uh, Cat's Roundtable on Sunday a couple of weeks ago, we're going to see more of the pragmatic Democrats winning these primaries. And this era of the sensational socialists is coming to well, an end. Well, we should talk about it. Today is Wednesday. We only got four more days on the radio for the next four days. We've got to talk about it every day to make sure and name the people that have common sense and name the people that are dumber than dumb. And by the way, I heard uh, Lee Zeldin on The Breakfast Club, which is an urban radio show, and they he was very well received. So don't underestimate the black and brown and Hispanic community coming out and voting voting for Lee Zeldin, possibly, because they're sick and tired of the crime as well. And, and by the way, I wouldn't say that there's a common sense Democrat unless they say they're going to repeal cashless bail. Well, that, I would have them swear on a Bible saying that they're going to vote. Uh, they're going to vote to put the violent criminals in jail. Thank you so much, John McLaughlin. McLaughlin, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. And uh, let's take a break, and we're going to come back with Dr. Michalos to find out who's living and who's dying. <laughs> <laughs> This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Breaking news, WABC. And that breaking news, nasal spray for Alzheimer's. Here with us now, Dr. Mikolos, what can you tell us? Well, some exciting news out of the Medical College of Georgia and Augusta where they used the nasal spray that they found that could stop epileptic seizures and slow down some of the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. What happens with epilepsy, you have an overactivity of the electrical activity in the brain. And also in Alzheimer's, what happens is the electrical activity sometimes is overstimulated. The biggest symptom is memory loss, but a lot of people can also get uh, aggressive behavior at times. And, you know, some of the people end up becoming docile. But for those who do get also seizures in cases of Alzheimer's and overactivity, this uh, novel peptide called ARCT, inhibits a chemical called norbin. Basically, it just calms down uncontrolled electrical activity. 
So if you, you know, people who sometimes get an aura before a seizure will be able to take out their nasal spray and, and pop it in. And also for certain uh, behavior patterns that occur in Alzheimer's patients, they can also use the uh, nasal spray. So that is something uh, novel and new, and we'll be hearing a lot about it more. How, how far are, away uh, has it been approved or it's just uh, testing? No, it's just been uh, tested in uh, clinical trials now, and it's showing that it's working. But also now they're doing some research, for example, at Oxford, they uh, research and they have a vitamin that's uh, called Matter, M-A-T-T-E-R, by a company called Elysium. And basically they have a cocktail in there of various uh, B vitamins and uh, omega-3s and folate. And that cocktail of vitamins, when they gave, gave it to patients, they found that it slowed down some of the cognitive decline in Alzheimer's patients. And they actually took images of the brain and there was slower shrinkage, and uh, that's available too. That was Elysium, you said, right? Elysium is the company. Matter is the name of the vitamin. People Google it. I was just talking to one of my integrative doctor friends, Dr. Magdalena, out in Southampton, and they basically are now uh, looking at uh, measuring various levels exactly in people's uh, blood and then trying to give them vitamins based on their exact blood work to help them slow down things like Alzheimer's, the 20% of genes uh, and 80% is our life. Thank Thanks you. for getting the truth out. Thank you, Dr. Miklos, and thank you, Governor uh, Patterson. John, can you write that name down for me? I can't remember what party I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Judge Well, Barber. thank you, Governor then, uh, Patterson. What do we stand for? Truth, truth justice, and, and the American way. way. Thank you, all our listeners, and God bless America, because we do need a blessing. We love you, Governor.